Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Heimland. Thanks for joining us for episode 12 with Kate Cuthbert. Alright, let's jump right into it. Hello and welcome back for another episode of The Heimland. My name is Winston. I'm Sam. And Ben's not with us today, but we are joined by our guest, Kate Cuthbert. Hello. Kate is from Minneapolis, Minnesota. She attended Bates College in Lewiston, Maine. She spent several years co-directing a horse riding program at a summer camp that we all may or may not have worked at with her sister and friend. She spent time in Tanzania studying giraffes, and currently she is in mammal nurse. She's a mammal nursery manager at the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center of Minnesota. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. So, uh, so Kate, can you tell us a little bit more about like who you are as a person and like what you're doing and what you're interested in and however you got to wherever you are today? Yeah, totally. Um, I've always been a very animal focused person. Uh, ever since I started working with the horses at camp, that's kind of the only direction my career has gone in. I studied biology and ecology at Bates. And um, during my time there, yeah, I spent a semester abroad in Tanzania where I studied um, giraffes, but mostly like political ecology and conservation in general. Um, It was like probably the coolest thing I've ever done. Maybe the coolest thing I ever will do. But um, And now I'm back in Minneapolis. I work at a vet clinic and I work um, seasonally at a wildlife rehab center managing the mammal nursery, which basically means I work with infant mammals, um, raccoons, opossums, squirrels, ground squirrels. We got a beaver last summer, stuff like that. Um, and I'm in school to get my uh, vet veterinary technician license. It's like a two-year technical degree, which pretty much just means that I'm like more officially certified to do stuff in like a veterinary setting. So animals. Wow, that's super cool. I didn't know you were working uh, with the rehab center. I'm Mm -hmm. really jealous that you mentioned raccoons. I (laughs) love raccoons. They're so, so cool. I love them too. They're so smart. How do you keep them busy? Like what do you do for enrichment or like, how do you keep them out of trouble? The best one that it's my favorite, even though I haven't really actually done it. I usually just let my interns do it. They like blowing bubbles at them. And they just like paw around and pop the bubbles and they think it's so funny. Um, But also once they're like outside in their big big outdoor cages, they just love, you wear like rain boots since they're like a biohazard technically. So you're like plodding around their cages in your rain boots and they'll just come up behind you and slip food into your boots. And so you'll walk out with like your boots full of like, we feed them puppy chow. So it's like dog food. And that's hilarious. That's amazing. I never knew working with raccoons was a biohazard. Mm-hmm. Um, quick question about the rehabilitation center. Where do you mainly get animals or like who do you service with that? It's 100% just like people bringing animals to us. So we don't go get anything. It's all just random people finding animals outside and bringing them to our center. And last summer I think we had what was it it was like 13,000 admissions or something like that so it's just people bringing us stuff 
wow, that's super wild that you have like that many critters going through. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really curious. Do you have like a soapbox about anything related to like critters being brought in that you want to like share with the world and give a little PSA? Um, so if you do find like an infant animal, I think the first thing to do is not touch it if it looks healthy. Um, you usually want to leave it there and see if some sort of parent is going to come back and get it because sometimes they're moving nests and they drop one, but they're they, like, no, it's there. With bunnies, the parents are only ever there twice a day, like every 12 hours. So if you find a nest of bunnies, odds are the parent is around, they're just out feeding. So really the first thing you want to do is like really make sure that this animal does not have a parent and does need your help before you remove it from a situation that might be fine. Man, I know when uh, we worked together at camp, I was at the nature center. It used to drive me crazy when people would like bring me little baby birds and they're like, look at yep. this thing. I found it and I immediately brought it to you. And I'd be like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's really sad. I mean, because usually they're fine. It's just like kind of a fluke that you find them in a vulnerable situation. Um, and it's sad because we have cage cards on each one and it kind of says like why they were admitted and we get a bunch that just say like kidnapped because that's technically what these people did is they kidnapped this animal. It's always a bummer. Okay, another question about the rehabilitation center. What is like the most exotic pet that you've seen come in? <laughs> um, Hmm. When I first started, we had like an adult bobcat. And that was crazy because no one could actually go in the cage because it was so aggressive, obviously. So it was like one person could go in and they were like heavily like suited up. Um, So that one was kind of nuts. We've gotten an otter before. That was really cute. Once there was this big like it wasn't drama, it was just like gossip in the squirrel nursery because everyone thought they saw a baby bear come in, but it was actually just a turkey. <laughs> that was kind of funny. <laughs> but this year we did actually get a baby bear in and he's really cute. Who brought that one in? Um, I don't know. It was some people who owned land and they had seen him in a tree and they left him there to like see if someone was coming back, but no one ever did. And so they had to climb the tree and go snag him. That's a crazy rescue. Yeah. How did they, do you know how they like brought them into you guys? Um, I think for that one, they had been in contact with us. So I think we actually did supply them with like gloves and stuff just to be safe. Um, but I don't think, I'm not sure if we actually sent anyone out there. Okay. Yeah. I don't like, I mean, it, it, it's a baby, but I still would feel wildly <laughs> uncomfortable just driving down the road with like a live bear yeah. <laughs> in, in my car. It just seems like so many things could go wrong. Oh, totally. Um, so I maybe want to back up a little bit here and uh, ask you more about uh, kind of childhood and growing up. So a question that Ben had for us is he says, as a kid who grew up in the country, uh, I'd like to know what it was like to grow up in Minneapolis. I know it's sort of a dumb question, but I'm just curious. And I'm pretty sure Sam and I both grew up in, yeah, we both grew up in in fairly rural areas. Um, Greater Minnesota. <laughs> so, yeah, just tell us more. What was life like? Where exactly did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Seward, Minneapolis. So I was right along 
like literally like 500 feet from the Mississippi River like you cross the street and you're like in the in the gorge um but I just think this is a funny question because since I didn't grow up in the country I don't know like what things to say that are like different <laughs> but um I will try my best <laughs> I um I don't know like the school I went to was like less than a mile away I don't know if that's weird um growing up in the city maybe maybe don't have to focus so much about like what is distinctly city and just okay. like a, a I just read that question and I was like I'm I'm worried I don't know <laughs> um it's your your life you can tell us anything it's okay there's no wrong answer okay that makes it easier um no growing up I feel like my sister and I were very outdoorsy as much as you can be kind of in that environment. I mean, we had the river valley right there, so that was really helpful. But we were like the kind of kids who like caught spiders when they were in the house and like released them. And um, like, we're very into getting pets. It took like five years of us like sobbing to convince our parents to get a dog, which sucked. But we had like fish and frogs and snails and stuff like that growing up and had like sea monkeys and stuff. Um, we did all of those like funny summer camps, not just Camp Olson, but like um, we did a farm camp once where it was like supposed to be old school feeling and we like wore bonnets the whole time and we're in like an old schoolhouse, which like I barely remember, but like very weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, we like liked doing a lot of stuff over the summer and then did lots of family trips. Our family was really big into traveling. So we went to Paris when we were like five or something ridiculous so like we barely have memories about it but there are all these photos of us as tiny humans like in sunglasses in Paris so yeah wow that's incredible yeah I think like mainly uh I think w when I think about like what was distinctly country growing up and that was all all good uh good stories um is just like being in proximity to so many things and like uh would it be something about driving like an hour to go see a friend and then like sorry you have I to like head all the way into town to get groceries <laughs> completely lost my train of thought there I like tried to pull up <laughs> another question I have a good addition though like okay. the one weird thing I remember about living in Minneapolis is that we're like 15 minutes from the mall of america and i genuinely thought that's what all malls were like like i just thought that that was a regular mall and so like finding out that like strip malls are technically actually malls and that it's not like the mall of america is a regular sized mall like really blew my mind and that's kind of a dumb city thing <laughs> like i really thought that that was a regular sized mall <laughs> oh um so since you spent so much time in the cities i like never go to the cities it's it you know it's an exciting day if I move past St. Cloud and St. Cloud is a horrible place but <laughs> what where is some place that like you recommend people have to visit in the cities yeah or like the the suburby conglomeration that is like the cities yeah um in the cities I mean, I really like cannot ever get enough of just walking like along the Mississippi River Gorge. I think it's like really incredible that 
we like I am in a I live in a fairly large city but you can walk into this like you can walk downhill for 30 seconds and you're kind of transported into this like very um like beautiful wooded area right next to this like really large river it's something that I don't think about when I visit other cities that there's not like a river running through the middle of it and that like provides a lot of outdoor space so I just think like that's a really cool thing about the Twin Cities um other cool things to visit right outside of the cities it's like half an hour away is Franconia Sculpture Park that's one of my favorite places it's like this huge outdoor area that's just filled with all this weird artwork um you can like walk around there and they have like events throughout the summer and stuff so I love that place um other cool places in the cities and then we just like we have all these cool events like our state fair is like one of the biggest in like the United States and like our renaissance festival is really cool um our pride festival I think is the second largest next to like New York or something like I think that's really interesting because a lot of us consider we're like considered such a flyover state it's really interesting that we also have these like really huge events that are like really noteworthy or like our May Day Parade that's huge oh the thing I think I was most jealous about um living in the country was all the music that goes down or that goes on down there um aside from like maybe bars and like when I was a kid that wasn't an option for me anyways like there was hardly any music and really not much live music maybe we had one coffee shop that was like a 15 minute drive that that had music sometimes but there was like no variety or selection so that was I remember going down for like even like festivals or just concerts um the city had like a pretty pretty cool music scene oh yeah I think our music scene is like very underrated I mean a lot of people have gotten like I mean like we're huge for Prince like now Lizzo's huge and she like really based herself here um First Avenue has like a whole collection of these like really remarkable venues, like just scattered across the cities now that are hopefully doing okay right now. I don't really know how they're faring, but um, no music is also, yeah, like definitely a huge draw here. Minneapolis has a crazy music scene, a crazy art scene. Like we're very well-rounded. And once again, it's like not a place people think of very often. So I can't hype the Twin Cities enough, I guess. So maybe moving on for Minnesota for a second, um, what was it like going to school out in, in Maine? It sounds like you were pretty, pretty well-traveled, but was, how did you end up there? Was it like something about the program that you wanted to do or like that particular area of the country? Tell us more about that. Um, I, went to, I went out of state because I thought that college was like the best excuse to leave the state and like kind of make it an easy transition. Um, so I don't think I applied to a single school in Minnesota. Um, Maine, I don't really know why I was drawn there initially. I think I thought it would be cool to move to a coast and the West Coast was just a little more intimidating or something. I've never thought of living in California or Oregon. Places like that are really cool, but I just don't see myself there. Um, and so I applied to two or three schools in Maine. And when I went to visit Bates, for some reason, I absolutely thought that that was the place I had to go to, uh, which is interesting because I ended up hating it. So I don't know why I had this like sudden connection with it because it ended up being a trash school. <laughs> but for some reason, I fell in love with it during the tour. 
Maybe it's because my tour guide looked like Ryan Gosling. I don't know. Well, shout out to their uh, their the admission team, <laughs> admissions team. <laughs> Apparently, they did a pretty good job. A <laughs> little fire and flame session here. Um, <laughs> other than like not really loving Bates, what was like? How cool was it living in Maine? Was it super sweet or like so so? Maine itself is gorgeous. Like it's such a beautiful state. Um, living on the coast was really cool. I took several classes where we would like go out and do like ecology labs on the coast or like I took an archaeology class and so we were doing like digs right by the ocean which was super cool. Um, I'd never climbed a mountain before then because Minnesota so that was also very fun. Uh, I think the thing that didn't vibe well with me was mostly just kind of the attitude out there is very different. Um, until you leave Minnesota, you don't know how real Minnesota nice is. Um, and my favorite story of being at Bates was there was this uh, finals event where they just brought in like 10 golden retriever puppies and we were passing them around. And this girl just walked up to me and literally took the puppy out of my lap and walked away without saying anything. And that's just like my like <laughs> blanket statement for what people are like out there. Obviously, that's like a little bit mean, but People out there are not as nice. Oh, tragic. That sounds <laughs> awful. I would have been so upset. The yeah. flame session continues. <laughs> You've got me going. I can't no. stop. <laughs> oh my God. I would be so spurned though. Was it like, I think we had some, I think once a month at UMD, they would do like stress relief events and have like, people would just come in with their pets. And that was always the one of like the highlights of of being at school at that particular day. I would be, yeah. I'd be livid. Well, and you wait so long to get this animal because everyone's there. And then I mm -hmm. finally had this goddamn puppy in my lap. And <laughs> this girl just swipes him like with nothing. <laughs> mm -mm. Not you should have just shouted swipe or no swiping. <laughs> in hindsight that would have been the move <laughs> oh so i'm gonna be moving out to new england like next fall for finishing up my grad school oh, uh, cool. do you have any recommendations for someone who like loves minnesota and minnesota culture to you know think about as i'm heading out to apparently a land of puppy stealers <laughs> where where specifically are you going i'll be uh in new hampshire so okay. not quite maine yeah, I had a lot of friends who lived there. Um, no, that, that state seemed like really nice and like fairly quiet. Um, I would say focus on how beautiful it is out there um, because that's probably the best part. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, the fact that I wasn't thrilled with my choice in school affected how much I got outside. And that's like my biggest regret for being out there is there are so many incredible like national parks like Acadia and stuff like that and like mountains to climb and all this stuff. And I was just like so caught up in the fact that I didn't like being in that environment that I didn't take advantage of that. Especially like not having a car or anything. It was just kind of like, I felt very stuck. And I think that was, that's the thing that I regret the most. Um. so you mentioned earlier that while you were there, you also went like, even further away from like the Twin Cities and you made it to like a program in Africa. Uh, mm -hmm. 
what was all going on? Like, how did you get get there? Like, uh, can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I knew I wanted to study abroad and it was kind of like the same mindset where I was like, I need to go somewhere crazy because this is going to be the easiest way to get somewhere like that versus me trying to travel there independently, like sometime further down the road in my life. Um, and there was this political ecology and conservation uh, semester in Tanzania where you would be going through uh, wildlife parks and doing like various research projects. There were two homestays involved, which I thought was really scary, but they ended up how they ended up. And yeah, it was really incredible. And also like probably the craziest decision I made with very little kind of thought of everything that that meant. Um, but it was incredible. It was really, really probably the coolest thing I've ever done. So how long was your program for? I think in the end, it was four or five months. Um, so we started out and I think we spent, we spent the first week in a specific park and then we moved to another park for a week. Um, our first homestay was like three weeks. We spent a couple weeks in the Serengeti. We spent um, another week or so with like the Maasai tribe. And so we did a three day homestay there, which was pretty wild. Um, and then the last like month we did an independent study project. And so I spent the last month of my program literally by myself camping in a state park studying giraffes like I don't think I said more than like four sentences for like a full month that sounds really cool but also awful like I hate when I'm out in nature and you see all these cool things you don't have anyone to point them out to yeah <laughs> but Ben is also really curious what like what were the coolest animals you saw while you were out there um I mean Literally everything I saw was so cool. I I could just like gush and gush about everything that happened. Like elephants, giraffes, giraffes were my favorite. They had to be because I studied them for so long. Um, I think hyenas are like the coolest animal ever. They're, <laughs> Sam makes a face, but they're so, so cool. Um, they're so creepy looking. I have this photo of one and it just looks like some crazy demon and I love it so much. Um, wildebeest are cool even though everyone says they're really ugly. One of my favorites, I think, was uh, it's the biggest antelope in the world. It's called an okapi. No, it's called an eland. It's called an eland. And they don't run like four-legged animals do. They run like lions. And it's the weirdest shit I've ever seen because they start sprinting and it's not like a horse gallop, which is like how normal hooved animals run. They like run like, like a predator, like a lion. And that's just like crazy. Um, but I had leopards really close. I saw lions that were like six feet away from me. Um, hippos, we saw a rhino from really far away. Um, I had monkeys stealing my lunch most days. Like it was an unreal experience. It was absolutely um, one of those things where you leave and it feels like it didn't happen, but you know it did. Yeah. That's crazy. I got to ask, you said you were camping. Did that present any problems with like animal encounters? Or do you have any horror stories? My sister said I have to tell you this story if it came up because she's still really mad about it. Um, 
but yeah, I was camping by like the base of this little hill and there was one rock on the very top of this hill and it was the only place that I could get Wi-Fi in this entire park. And so I would sit on top of that rock and like call my family sometimes when we could like get through to each other. Cause it's really, it's just really hard to get through internationally there anyway. And there was this one night, it was super late. It was completely pitch black where I was. And I was talking to Audrey on this rock and suddenly I start hearing something at the base of the hill. And I was like, oh my God, Audrey, there is something, there's something here. And she was like, Kate, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you can't just say that. And um, it started, I like heard it moving towards me <laughs> and I saw the eyeballs and I knew in that moment that it was a fucking hyena. And so I sprinted down this hill, lost connection with my sister and got in my tent. And she thought I was dead for like 10 minutes before I could tell her I was not dead. <laughs> did your tent offer any actual protection or did you just like feel safer it getting eaten in the tent? <laughs> did it offer any protection? Absolutely not. But I was not eaten. So something worked. Did you have to like store your food away somewhere? Um, technically I was being made meals while I was there by this cook, but they didn't know the concept of being vegetarian. So I had like a bag of peanuts in my tent, but it was relatively safe. <laughs> Nothing stole my peanuts. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you have any, uh, instead of like horror story animal encounters, do you have any like wonderful, like, you know, awe moments about critter encounters? I think the coolest thing that happened to me while I was there um, was one of the first nights we spent in this like very large wildlife refuge and it just started absolutely like pouring rain like downpouring in my like little ass one person tent that probably like barely fit me in my backpack um, just like tumultuous rain on top of on top of me in this tent um huge lightning blasts just like probably one of the biggest storms I've ever experienced but in between the lightning and thunder you could hear lions roaring and that was the most unreal experience I've ever had in my entire life was sitting there like listening to this crazy ass storm but then also these lions just like roaring in between everything else oh my god nature was just going <laughs> off <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so I want to know more about the giraffes. Could you tell me what you were studying or if you have like any cool giraffe facts for us? So my project was like giraffe behavior and social structure. So what I did was every day I went out and I just walked around until I found a group of giraffes and I would photograph every giraffe in the grouping and um kind of like tried to get a group photo to see how they were structured across whatever landscape they were in. Um, and I try to find a couple in the morning and then a couple in the afternoon. And then during the rest of my day, I would sit at my computer and upload all the images. And I ended up identifying like every individual in the park. So I like knew each individual giraffe that was in there based on like horn structure and like chest markings and like facial features. Um, so I think I ended up identifying 103 individual giraffes and I ended up naming them all so that it was easier for me. Um, and so then I would like look at how they were like hanging out with each other and if there were like friend groups or like distinct ways that they would like group themselves across the park. 
And then I was also looking at like what, when they were in specific environments. So like if they were in woodier areas, did that mean that they were spread out or arranged in a different way? Or if there were babies in their group, did that mean that they were like arrayed in a different way across the landscape? Um, and usually it was like larger males were kind of at the outside of their like clumping and then babies would be like in the middle and usually in a more forested area. Um, so there definitely were trends and it definitely looked like they were kind of friendships between some because they'd be seen with each other more. Um, but yeah, it was really kind of cute and I like got to know individuals and could like recognize them and I really enjoyed that. Um, for a fact, <laughs> This is just like an obvious statement, but I still just think it's funny that when a giraffe is born, the first thing that happens is it has to fall like six feet to the ground. <laughs> like that's just so brutal. <laughs> um, I have a quick question, which uh, was mentioned a couple weeks ago. Um, and it was brought up that like, as you're studying animals, you come to like learn their personalities and then Western science really doesn't appreciate any sort of like, those defining characteristics that aren't data driven. Uh, what like, what were the things that your favorite giraffes did that made them like so special and like helped show that they were individuals instead of just like data points? Yeah, um, my favorite was this really old giraffe who was like very large, um, but like completely gray face. And he just like didn't give a shit like he would just stand there and like I could get very close to him not like really close because this is obviously like a wild animal but I could probably get 200 feet away from him without him caring and I could just sit there and he'd just like stare at me whereas like that was not possible with anyone else um the all of the moms were like super skittish and so they would always run away but there were a few like adolescent females who also just like were very not friendly but like didn't really care that I was there and it almost felt kind of recognized me towards the end um in the way that yeah you can't scientifically prove that but it seemed like they were less skittish and like more kind of just nonchalant about the fact that I was there um there was also this one there were like three to five kind of babies while I was studying there and one of them was just like such a little like spunky asshole <laughs> and he was really funny because he just like was like going around swinging his neck at like the adults and like not caring and like running around like a crazy person um and then I guess the last one that was really specific is that primarily like the ones that fight are the males the ones that are like doing that neck swing that I don't know some people have seen on YouTube um that's like really scary, honestly, it's so aggressive. And I saw one there that had his neck literally dented at a right angle from a fight and it had just healed like that. Um, but there was this one like adolescent female who also like got in fights and that was really funny cause that's like not very common. Wait, hold on. So the giraffe's neck went up and then it took a like 90 degree turn. So it was just like- Okay, it wasn't 90, it was like 45. It was like a 45 degree angle, it was like that. So it just like broke its neck in the fight and then like it healed and it just was yeah. off to the side? Yeah. I have photos. I'll send them to you. Oh, we'll make sure to link those in like the show notes. <laughs> but holy cow, that's wild. Yeah. Wow. They're like modern day. What's the, the dinosaurs with the like 
the the super long necks. Oh, yeah. I don't, I, maybe like that's not how dinosaurs fought. But that's is that what it is? Why am I blanking? Yeah, I I'm not I mean, even like, gonna. I, I don't know my dinosaurs. <laughs> like Brontosaurus, Apatosaurus, mm-hmm. all the Allosaurus. Mm-hmm. Sam over here flexing. <laughs> <laughs> Got that natural history. Nice. Oh, I had a question about just kind of the the layout of the park uh, in general. Um, so you said that you came to know all of the giraffes in the park. Was it were the borders enclosed, or w- was it just people, uh, or not? Were the giraffes just ones that people had seen seasonally, or so the board? No, there weren't any like distinguished borders, um, but the park that I was in was protected. And so if they strayed outside of the borders, like there were people who would hunt them because that's like a lot of meat for a group of people. Um, so most of them did stay within the park and kind of recognize that like their territory. There were a couple giraffes who I saw like once or twice and then didn't see again. And so I'm assuming they just like left or were, you know, hiding in spots I couldn't find. Um, so I'm sure there is movement in and out, but for the most part, it seems like they um, they stayed within the boundaries and kind of knew that that was like a safe space for them. Oh yeah, and then I just wanted to ask kind of like what the the terrain was or like how big was it all like the same sort of terrain or what was the environment like? And just to add on, like how big is this park? Um. That park was probably, what can I compare this to? Like, I would say the entire main part of camp, if you're like not crossing the road, like the main road, like including the homestead and kind of like the swamp trail area. Maybe that's too small though. That's like a couple hundred acres. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely at least that. Um, I don't think in my three weeks I could say that I, like, covered every foot of it, but I definitely covered most of it. Um, So it was probably bigger than that. It was probably closer to, I don't know, I'm really bad spatially. I might just Google it. (laughs) Probably like 500 or something. I don't know. Um, The terrain uh in general was either pretty barren or like very forested uh lots of acacia trees at one point i accidentally impaled my heel on a thorn and was walking around with a thorn in my heel for like an hour until i yanked it out and then was just bleeding everywhere (laughs) oh no that was a good day (laughs) um but yeah it was either like going through pretty dense forest or just like really open kind of barren landscapes were a lot of the trees spiny like acacias or like the plants or were the plants generally either missed, you know, in the places where they weren't missing, like friendly instead of very <laughs> combative? This park was like mostly acacia. I mean, giraffes eat acacia primarily. That's why they have the prehensile tongue because they can like move around the thorns. So it's not as big of a deal. Um, so a lot of the plant life in this park was like pretty gnarly. I'm sorry, what does prehensile mean exactly? It's like, um, like we have prehensile hands or like monkeys have prehensile tails, like you can grip stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. 
I feel like there's some sort of like being kissed by a giraffe joke or tying a knot with a cherry stem somewhere in here, but <laughs> I don't have it. I watched some of them pick their noses. That's all I got. <laughs> Wait, how long are their tongues? Really long. Probably like, I mean, like at least a foot long, I bet. That's super cool. They're really cool. <laughs> um, speaking of cool animals, I want to hear a little bit more about like the animals that you like own slash take care of uh, or whatever term that you feel is like proper for your like friendship or stewardship of them. <laughs> uh, what kind of critters do you all spend time with on like the daily basis? So yeah, I have a lot of pets. Um, I've collected them over the past like two years, no, three years. Um, I have a dog named Rocky. He's a boxer mix. He's 10 years old now. Um, very handsome man. He's my best friend. Um, I have two rats who were running around the room a little bit. They're like a year and a half. They're both kind of in hospice care at this point. One has like a chronic condition and needs medication twice a day. So I have to, I've been doing that for her. And the other is um, kind of gets chronic UTIs and has a really large mass. So they're, you know, hanging in there, but they're my other two. Um, I have a tortoise who I've had for at least a decade at this point. Um, oh, shout out to Buddy. Yep, shout out to Buddy. He was at camp a lot of the time. Uh, he's still kicking. Hopefully he outlives me. That's the plan. Um, and then, yeah, I just added Trainwreck to my collection like several months ago. And he's been pretty great. He went through the winter really great. He has a coat now, so he's kicking. Um, I rode him a little bit last fall, but I'm planning on starting to do that again soon which is really fun if not a little scary because I have to do it by myself but yeah he's been great he's really sweet he's turned into a giant puppy dog and he likes to nibble on my face uh maybe to help uh clarify for everyone listening uh what <laughs> sort of critter is train wreck what sort of what what sort of uh, animal is train wreck oh did I not say that he's a horse <laughs> I apologize he is a horse <laughs> That's an important detail. Of course. <laughs> it's okay. I feel like 80% of our viewership is probably camp at this point. Yeah, right? Y'all should know who Trainwreck is. <laughs> Come on. Get with the program. And uh, the poor, like, 2% that's listening in, in Ireland will be like, Trainwreck. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> so what is it like owning a horse in the cities? <sighs> um... It's a little wild. I honestly did not think I would own a horse until I was much older. Um, the ideal end of my life would be owning a bunch of land. And so I always kind of planned for that to be my horse outlet. But it would, he's like very old and he's definitely going to start declining fairly soon. And so I kind of felt like it was me take him or him like not have as nice of an end of life. Um, but he's in Stillwater, which is like 40 minutes away from me. So it's a little bit of a haul, but I make it out there once or twice a week and I give him a bunch of food and we snuggle a little bit. And sometimes I go for rides with him, but mostly I'm just trying to give him like a really nice retirement. Um, it's really expensive, <laughs> which really sucks, but he's worth it. And he was my favorite. I mean, I have a tattoo of him and I have loved him ever since I first met him. So it felt worth Aww. it to me and it felt like something I was going to regret if I didn't get him. 
Wow. That's heartwarming. <laughs> uh, do you remember how Trainwreck got his name? I've I've never heard like the story there. Uh, could you share? He uh, came to camp and we did not think we were going to keep him because he we put him in like the small arena, which um, is just like this small little enclosed area that we usually do ring rides in. It's very little. And he was sprinting around it. We thought he was going to jump the fence. He was making some crazy ass noises. Um, he was just like kind of a psycho when he first got there. Um, and so we didn't know if we were going to keep him. And um, Joe Benbenek actually came up with that name. It was something he had wanted to name a horse and it felt very fitting. Um, and I think it, I think it's perfect because I mean, he went on to be kind of a shit show the rest of his time there anyway. He was always a really fun staff horse. He was like the second fastest horse we had, but I was the only one to ever race on him because it was like very dangerous. He, he fell on top of me two separate times while I was riding him. So he's like not a very safe animal to be on, <laughs> but he's fun. Wow, that's super scary. Uh, speaking of horses being horses, what is like some of the wilder horse encounters you've had? Like have what's like, uh, what, what, like what was, the scariest moment at the corral? <laughs> um, my last summer there, I got trampled by one of the horses that we were test riding. Um, we named him Ham. He was this like medium-sized kind of pony looking thing. And he was just like really nasty. Um, and I was trying to help Kate Duramey get on him and was holding his halter in the front. And he just ran over me. Um, and I literally did a backward somersault and I can legit tell you that I did think I was going to die in that moment. <laughs> like I literally like had the conscious thought that I was going to die. Um, but he ran over me and I stood up and I just had a really bad concussion and they still made me work every day that week. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> did you have any scars at all from that injury or others? Like, I don't think from horses. I mean, I, I've gotten at least two, if not three of my concussions from the corral. And I think that has affected my memory, <laughs> but oh my gosh. not like physical scars. No. Oh, cute. Who is that? This is Poppy. <laughs> Who is one of the rats? Oh. She's a fat bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you mentioned that like uh, train wreck is in Stillwater. Are you like boarding him somewhere? Or, like, how are you having a distant like horse relationship? <laughs> yeah, he boards there. So um, I pay this very large sum of money and they take care of him and he gets grained every day. Um, technically I like would never have to go out there if I didn't want to, except to like get a vet out there and stuff. Um, but obviously I want to see him and hang out with him. Uh, he's in like the old man herd, so he has the nicest grass and all of his uh, pasture mates are pretty chill. Um, and yeah, it's like really cute. It's very old lady vibes. I think I'm the youngest person who boards there, which is really funny. Um, but it's really nice. It's really beautiful. And they're like right on, I don't think it's a state park, but it's like a regional park. So there are like 80 acres of horseback riding trails that you can just get on your horse at the barn and start riding on. It's really cool. 
do you also store your like saddle and stuff there or do you have to bring that down every time you want to ride yeah I have a locker out there so all my stuff just chills out there it's real nice it's kind of a weird dynamic having a pet that doesn't live with you it is the weirdest thing it took me so long to get used to and I still like don't like it all the time because I like work 40 hours a week and I'm in school and so like getting out to see him is like kind of difficult and it sucks because it'll like be raining all day like today or like suddenly there'll be a snowstorm Mm -hmm. and it's like do I like I have to run out to Stillwater to like put his coat on or like make sure he's okay um I really wish I could just keep him in my backyard but I don't think that would be okay quick petition to have a quick petition to have a horse in any um, Minneapolis St. Paul Twin Cities living room I would love that (laughs) that would be the goal yeah just put out uh put on the application that you have a very large dog (laughs) (laughs) exactly that's exactly what owning a horse is though it feels like it's just having a large dog (laughs) I still just like taking him for walks on his lead rope. Like I don't always ride him. Sometimes we just go for walks together and it's really fun. <laughs> What's your uh, favorite memory with Trainwreck? Um, probably the first time I raced on him down Rainbow Road at camp. Um, it was probably the dumbest thing I've ever done because he we didn't know how he was going to react and he had already fallen on top of me once um he's like very reactive to your like leg signals and so since I'm not like a I was never like went to a real deal riding camp I'm not not like a perfectly composed rider all the time and so like I think sometimes I could tell him to turn when I wasn't meaning to and like give him cues that I didn't understand I was giving him So the entire time I was very scared that he was just going to turn on a dime and like I wouldn't know and we'd be galloping down a dirt road Um, or that he'd lose his balance like he had before. But he's fucking fast and that was like that's the fastest it's ever felt like I've moved. Obviously I've gone faster in cars but when you're just sitting on the back of an animal going that fast it's like it's it's a very different feeling. and we had one race where it was me on train wreck and then my sister Audrey on captain, who's the fastest horse we had. And we were like neck and neck for half of the road. And that's always just like the craziest shit is like being on a large animal and like looking to your left and seeing this other person on a very large animal moving as fast as you're moving and then like screaming insults at them and getting really competitive about it is like really wild and hilarious and crazy. Um, and sometimes I look back and like, don't believe that I did that. <laughs> because it just seems so stupid. <laughs> but also so fun. Oh yeah, so fun. So actually that uh, reminded me of another question that I, I wanted to ask, and maybe it applies to all uh, of the things that we've talked about, whether that was like giraffes or at the, the wildlife or the mammal rehab center, uh, is how uh, do you go about communicating with an animal when you don't speak the same language or they don't speak yeah in in a verbal language what is like what are some of the different ways uh and how that changes from animal to animal i think the biggest thing i've learned working with so many different species and so many like just like so many different experiences it's just like 
patience is really important and like giving the animal time to like warm up to you is really important. Um, the thing that I think eventually like made Trainwreck since I've had him like really bond with me is that I would just go out and like sit in a stall with him and study while he ate. And so I'd sit like a couple feet away from him just like by him while he ate his food. And then once he was done, he'll just come and like put his face on my head or like just like wanna hang out. Um, it's the same thing with like my rats, like just spending a lot of time with them. They like really trust me. I mean, if I ever have to do anything negative with them, like you have to give them positive reinforcement. Like you want them to know that like you're not doing something negative for no reason. Um, but even like with the giraffes, like I think just like I would just sit there for like an hour and like photograph and like I would never do anything super crazy or threatening um, and I think that helped a lot what, since I was there for so long um, and then even at the rehab center I mean with those animals it's different because you don't want them to like you because you're re-releasing them so it can't be you can't have a connection with them you can't have a bond um, but working with them I think it was always just really important to like be patient um, and like take cues. You have to take cues from the animal you're working with. Yeah, it sounds like it's it's a lot of body language, would you say is a fair way to put it? Yeah, totally. Awesome. And have you, would you say you've gotten significantly better at reading all that body language? It's like time goes on or does it like come and go depending on each animal? I think I've gotten a lot better. Um, I think honestly, the best learning experience has been working at my vet clinic. I work with a lot. I work, we just work with dogs and cats. It's just a regular small animal clinic, which um, is not exactly where I thought I'd be, but it's, it's still, you know, it's still working with animals. I still like it, but dogs and cats are like, when they're scared, they can be really dangerous. <laughs> um, so just learning how to take cues from really scared, aggressive cats um, has been really helpful because you can have a cat hiss at you and you can still pick it up without it trying to bite you. And there, there's like very minute differences in the animal's body language that tells you if it's going to bite or if it's just like kind of threatening you. Um, and same with dogs, it's like really hard to tell when they're actually going to be aggressive versus when they're just scared. And I think that the longer I've been at this job, the easier it's been for me to tell the difference, which is really important in the work that I do there. Kate, um, this is a bit of a sidetrack story, mm -hmm. but I don't know if you ever uh, heard, at one point this fall, I was living on the North Shore and I decided to go for a hike north of Grand Marais and ended up stopping um, at the Grand Portage State Park. And mm -hmm. as we rolled in, I saw another Honda Element, which is the car I drive, and it was like a maroon Honda Element with a turtle uh, on the back, and I was like, wow, that really looks like Kate and Aubrey's car, <laughs> and I told the person I was with, I was like, I think this is my friend's car, but they definitely live in the Twin Cities. This is, would you imagine how wild it would be if like they or like their parents were up here? And then a couple hours later, we were in Grand Marais going to get food. And all of a sudden, as we're getting, like, turning the corner, I see the same car appear. And then uh, Kate's parents, like, 
step out of the car to go look at the pizza shop and I was like oh, it was them and so I rolled up to say hello um and they totally didn't recognize who I was and they're just like oh this random guy is apparently saying hello to us in the middle for <laughs> um but it was super funny to run into them see that's so funny because I remember them <laughs> telling me about that and once they like remembered who exactly you were like they have so many memories about you and so I thought it was just really funny that it's like damn it guys like you could have had a really cute catch up with Sam who you really know actually quite well but you just are a little too old to place this face immediately damn it <laughs> to be fair I also didn't introduce myself I was just like whoa you're here this is so exciting and then <laughs> and driving away uh. <laughs> Uh, Kate, I think I have one last question for you. Winston, do you have anything else? No, go for it. Um, so Kate, for the past like year and a half, almost two years, I've been asking everyone, what is your favorite story to tell? And can you tell it? Um, I know that's kind of a big ask, especially because your favorite story can change depending on like who you're with and the scenario that comes up. But can you think of a favorite story and will you share it with us? Yeah, give me one minute. Oh, damn it. I have heard you ask this on your podcast too. I should have been prepared. Shit. <laughs> um, okay, this is actually one that I would not have thought that I would think of, but it just came to my brain. And so I will tell it. I don't think this is like I don't, this isn't like a story, like a, like a made up fiction kind of like fun tale. Um, but it's just like an event that happened recently that was like very cool um, that I didn't think of in a, in kind of a fun context and it's camp related. So that's relevant. Um, but I, me and Audrey visited camp or maybe it was just me. I'll tell it like it was just me. I visited camp probably two two and a half years ago sometime like pre-pandemic but not like super not like a super long time before that um probably the summer before the pandemic and I was just up to like visit and look around and like see a couple people and it was um staff training so there weren't campers up there yet and this this guy comes up to me who I'd never who I didn't really recognize and I was like you know surrounded by the people there who I did know and we were all just catching up and he like walked up and he was like, you're Kate, right? And I was like, yeah, like, what's your name? Like, what's up? And um, he was just like, yeah, like I was a camper when you were corral staff for like four or five years. And I like vividly remember you and you like made a really big impact on like my time at camp. And that's like something that I never thought would happen to me at camp, especially being like a more introverted member of the staff there it was like very cool to see that you do not have to be like crazy and spirited and outgoing to like make an impact on people and I think that was like something that sticks with me um and something that I think it's good for other people to know too that you don't have to be actively yelling and like making causing a big scene to like be having impact on other people oh that sounds super powerful thank you for sharing well, uh, I don't think we have anything else. Thanks for being willing to chat with us, Kate. I really appreciate sure. it. Thanks for asking me.
Audrey and I really like, okay, your podcast came at a very nice time because I don't know if you started like right at the beginning of the pandemic or it was like kind of springtime, but <laughs> you started podcasting right when it was getting really real that we like weren't seeing people and stuff like that. And so we were spending a lot of time just like in our garden and stuff. And it was really, really nice to like turn your podcast on and hear like really friendly, familiar voices in a time where we weren't seeing people like that. And so it was very comforting and thank you for that. Wow, thank you so much. Yeah, I think that is still, even at this point in COVID life, it's still one of, this has been such a, a cool way to stay in touch with people. So I'm so glad to hear that that is being shared. So, yeah. and thank you for sharing all of your stories. So. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, that's it for today. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and uh, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you leave us a good review, funny or nice, we might read it on the show and give you a shout out. All right. See you next time.